What's up, everybody? You're listening to another episode of Composer Code. It's Matt here. It's been a while since we've been on the airwaves. Uh, we're doing something a little special today. I got my buddy 8-Bit Music Theory on the horn with me today, um, all the way from uh, Manitoba. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about analyzing and transcribing music because, truth be told, uh, 8-Bit's channel, 8-Bit Music Theory, was the biggest uh catalyst for me to really see the power of transcription and analysis and what it does for musicians, composers, arrangers, how it helps you in, in so many different ways. And I think just in our conversations, uh, and, uh, you know, obviously studying your channel and asking you questions, I've just, my eyes have been so open to like, this is the closest thing to a superpower. I think that musicians can, can have as far as, uh, analyzing and really diving deep into the minds of other composers because it's even better uh, than having a composer as a teacher sometimes because sometimes those teachers or those composers might not be great teachers. But if we can dive in and we can look at their stuff and we can sort of teach ourselves how they thought and how they how their mind works, uh, it, it empowers us for greater composition. I'm curious uh, what you have found to be, uh, Mr. Bit, what you have found to be the biggest or some of the biggest influences or uh enhancements to your own musicianship because you are a musician as we talked about in my last interview with you almost a year ago believe it or not um and so i'm curious how uh you know how has it helped you man what what is it what have you noticed that transcription does for you uh i think you kind of you hit the nail on the head with the um uh, as far as learning how to compose and learning how music works it it it's a lot better than uh than a than a teacher in a lot of respects because i mean i guess they're a little different but you know even if you're a great composer you don't necessarily know why or how you have composed what you compose you know it, like it's kind of like that thing of uh if you're writing a novel you're not supposed to know what you're writing about really until it's done sort of so i think hmm. like being able to 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 go back and see well, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place right now, but I first learned about transcription um, as, in, like, in the context of learning how to uh, solo in a jazz context. So in school... No, but I thought you mentioned that you had transcribed a bunch of stuff in high school, like you were just transcribing video, stu- video oh, game music in high school. true. That's a good point, actually. I forgot about that. I... Yeah, I, I know more about you than you do. Yeah, apparently. Um, as the job, as as uh, as is the job of a fanboy. Anyway. <laughs> you know, because well, you know, I was just thinking like my the absolute very very first things I ever transcribed were uh, drum parts to songs that I wanted mm. to play on drums. Just because yeah. you can't buy drum sheet music for hardly anything, especially not like in 2006 when I was doing this. So mm. I would just like oh i want to learn i want to play drums to this fallout boy song so i'll transcribe the drum you know and so you transcribe a bunch of drum parts and uh you do it very badly and and they're not quite right and the but then that's mm. that you know i think that starts the ear training as far as just the skill of listening for for something and being able to put it down on paper and then that turned into oh i like this video game song I'll transcribe it for fun and then that turned into you know but as far as like transcription as a valuable asset the first time that i thought of it as that as any more than just like a fun way to pass the time 
was in jazz school as like uh yeah. you want to learn how to solo you have to transcribe solos and figure out what they were doing and try and do it yourself and uh and it wasn't until you know towards the end of my degree that i kind of figured like you know if it's you know soloing or improvisation is really just composition um on one instrument in real time so if it if you can learn how to solo by transcribing other solos you can probably learn how to you know write a song by transcribing other songs or or you know that that idea so yeah so i started to how take many transcriptions seriously. do you think you've done because i know you we've talked about you have like a massive library of transcriptions mm-hmm. on your computer obviously because uh, of your channel it, it necessitates you to transcribe so much how many do you think you've done i know i think you've you counted it for me a while ago but i think you've done a lot since then uh that would take a while to <laughs> figure like, out like is it hundreds 500s it's 200 it's probably it's well it's hundreds for sure it's in the hundreds yeah um That's i don't amazing. know if i don't know i i should count some sometime and just take the day off and count all the well because if you you know on my computer here like i have my video game music transcription folder that has mm-hmm. about um 47 folders so 47 different games and then wow. inside of each of those folders is between like 2 and 20 transcriptions so <laughs> that's so cool uh and then that's video games so then i also have like jazz solos and and you know arrangements different arrangements that i you know so i don't know it's in the hundreds probably but i can't give a real answer i guess that's amazing so I want to jump in. So part part of this show, uh, for those of you listening, is uh, well, what I want to do is I was so uh, inspired and um, just uh, hypnotized, not hypnotized, what's the word? Uh, <laughs> enchanted by mm-hmm. by 8-Bits, uh, by our previous talk, and, uh, and just the value of transcription and how he analyzes it. And I, I mean, we've had tons of conversations about how you analyze music because there's just so many different ways and there's not like one agreed upon way. And, um, and that, that I just find so fascinating the, uh, the transcription and then also just the analysis piece. So I want to talk about like, uh, you know, you, you mentioned to me earlier that when you're analyzing music, um, it's important to have a goal right? Uh, hmm. when, when you transcribe, your transcription's done. You've tried to get it as accurate as possible to the recording and you want to analyze it. What are some examples of maybe some goals that you've had or that you've seen uh, some other people have? And for people who want to get started in transcription and analysis, let's say they transcribe a piece. What are some maybe some examples of some goals that maybe they could they could take on to try to learn from the transcription? Um, that's such a good question. I think... Well, because for me uh, right now, I usually think in terms of what can I make a video on. So my goals might be a little different than like if you're trying to compose. But um, sure. so, you know, usually I have my main three like categories are, um, you know, melody, harmony, arrangement. And so if I'm transcribing something like if I, you know, sometimes I start with an idea like, oh, I wonder how you write a good melody. So I'll transcribe some stuff that I think have good melodies. Sometimes I start with a game or a song where, oh, this is a cool song or, oh, I should do this game. You know, I transcribe it. And then, you know, you kind of look like, is the melody cool? Is the melody doing something interesting? Is the harmony cool? Is it doing something interesting? Or is the arrangement worth looking at? Can you learn something from that? 
And within those three categories, there are, you know, tons and tons and tons of subcategories of like, say you want to write better melodies, you think your melodies are boring. Okay, so mm-hmm. start analyzing like, you know, what about this melody do you like? And why do you think it is like that? Um, you can look at like how the melody interacts with the chords, if they're, if they're hidden chord tones or how it works rhythmically, if it's like emphasizing certain beats or um, mm-hmm. there's you know it's it's such an open-ended question it's hard to give (laughs) it's hard to give a definite answer but yeah yeah that's awesome so we're going to talk a little bit later about melodic reduction which i think is amazing Mm. and it's my favorite video of yours is what makes the mario songs christmassy Mm. uh i I love that video i always come back to it it's like old faithful brings a tear to my eye just (laughs) thinking about it um so I want to talk about that in a little bit, but before we do, I want to go and I want to look at an actual piece of uh, of music with you. I want to go down into the nitty gritty, and uh, and so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to show uh, my screen and I'm going to look at your transcription of the Super Mario Bros. theme. Of course, it's the most uh, iconic uh, piece of music probably in all of media. Um, <laughs> And uh, so I'm curious, when you transcribe a piece like this, and you can see, you know, you've got your chord symbols here, um, you know, uh, I would love to talk a little bit about, before we go into the analysis piece, actually, when you're naming chords, because, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've talked with you about this and, like, banged my head against the wall trying to understand, like, chord naming philosophy, and I've written a, a blog post on this, which kind of takes some of your wisdom and puts it in a blog post. And so for those of you interested on naming chords, I'll put that in the show notes. But um, can you talk to me a little bit about like how you would go about naming chords kind of at a high level, um, maybe looking at this piece as an example? Mm. Um, this piece is a really good example to use, actually, because um, like all NES music, there's only three voices. And so it can be really hard to have, you know, full chords when you're writing a piece with only three voices because you need a melody, you need a bass line, and then you have one extra voice that's trying to do everything, you know, that's not a melody and a bass line. So, <clears throat> um, so it can be hard to have like real fleshed out harmony. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of tunes will hint at harmony or imply a harmony and then, um, excuse me. Uh, so, for example, for this tune, like the very first two measures, um, mm-hmm. whatever. I'm not good at piano, but uh, well done. So, <laughs> that's uh, you know. So the three notes are D, F sharp, and E for the first mm-hmm. note, and that's not a chord, really. You know, like that's a cluster technically, and the way they spread mm-hmm. it out, or the way Koji Kondo spreads it out over, like such a huge range um he's clear like he you know me looking at that i can see that he wants that but he can only have three voices so he just leaves like the bare minimum essentials so so basically what i do is you so, look at the I'm base sorry, so it re- so you're saying that he he originally it would be a cluster but the the chord that you played was a D nine. So um, hat can kind of back up. Can you tell me sure, how you sorry. knew that he thought it was supposed to be what you played? Um, yes, and the reason why is because the well, okay. 
you're, you have to think two ways, kind of. You have to think functionally and you have to think about, you know, what notes are on the page. So as far as notes on the page, we know the bass note is D. Mm-hmm. And then we have an F sharp. So immediately you're thinking D major because D and F sharp. Right. That's and so would you say that finding a third, because I know you've, you've coached me on this before, mm-hmm. finding a third is one of the most important things you can do early on because thirds dictate the quality of the chord. Is that something that you're yeah. kind of looking for as you're yeah, going? Yeah, that's definitely something you, yeah, you're keeping an eye out for. Um, you know, like but they're not always the, there. They're not always there, but if if you, you know, it's like a flow chart where if you can find a third, then like most of your work's done for you. And if not, right. then you have to use other means. But if you can find a third, that's what you should uh, stick with. Mm-hmm. So we have our D major sound, and then we have an E on top, which makes it technically a D add to if you want to call it that mm-hmm. but if you look at the whole bar the melody drops down to has that c so if you mm. add that into the mix then you get uh d f sharp c e and that's a d9 without the fifth um right you don't so need because the ever so be now <laughs> let me ask you this because of the so you don't need the fifth the fifth is sort of optional and uh you know, I've heard it said Koji Kondo gets an A plus for voicing here because he he voices everything in the priority that needs to be voiced, right? He gets yes. the third in there, he gets the ninth in there, he gets the seventh in there, that sort of thing. So, um, are you also thinking like, okay, well, you I know that a dominant a dominant tonic relationship is going to be the strongest form of resolution here. So Koji's probably wanting there to be a dominant seven in there. Are you also kind of having that in the back of your mind? Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, you're looking at the notes on the page, but you're also thinking about how this chord functions. And it's really, you know, when you listen to it, it's obvious that it's it's setting up the next chord in the next bar, which is just a G. Really straightforward. Mm-hmm. Once again, yeah. with no fifth. But um, And so if you're thinking like, you know, some sort of D major to G, uh, that is way more likely going to be a D7 to G than yes. anything else, right? Right. Makes total sense. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. That's a fantastic like exposition of the first two bars. I think that's fantastic. So so moving on to the piece, let's say like uh, you uh, wanted to make a video about this piece. When you look at this piece, um, you've often told me like when you make videos, the f- you really, you wait for the music to sort of like jump out at you or tell you mm-hmm. what to make as far as like you're not trying to shoehorn in okay i want to make a video about mel- like melody or harmony you're like okay what is this piece really how does this piece really shine so when you look at this piece let's say you're making a video on this piece what about this piece to you it just is really notable and stands out and maybe would be worthy of a video or an essay or some sort of exposition um you know <laughs> some tunes have a lot more to look at than others this one you could go a bunch of different ways with i think and that's partially why it's so well loved is because it's so uh it's so good and there's just so much to to dive into mm-hmm. um you know it's a it's a really catchy melody and you know that because everybody knows the melody so mm-hmm. you could look at it in terms of what makes it so you know iconic um I guess, yeah, I guess a lot of my process is asking questions and then hmm. trying to see if any, you know, any answers pop out. Like, or, you know, I don't know. It's it's interesting 
trying to think about this process um, in an abstract way because a lot of it is kind of instinct or trial and error almost of like or even like just just trying to apply things that I've picked up along along my whatever career as a musician of like you know if you just isolate the top voice isolate the melody and you look at the next four bars that uh, um, you know just looking at it and thinking like what about this is weird what about this is different what about this doesn't show up in every other piece you know there's lots of stuff there's lots of chromatic notes um well in the first four bars is only one chromatic note but there's a chromatic note which isn't uh uh, super common the Mm -hmm. range is huge the range is of like an 11th from the lowest note in the melody to the highest note Mm -hmm. um the rhythm is completely different every bar like you could talk about just the rhythm of this melody for probably a whole video honestly yeah um yeah i mean it's it all depends what you want to what you want to focus on if you think you're you, if you're writing melodies and you think they lack you know interest and you're like well i think they're too boring rhythmically then you can you know well how does koji kondo make his melodies exciting with rhythm and you know it's it's right here you can just look and see yeah that's so awesome. It it's crazy. I want to talk a little bit about why do you think nobody talks about transcription? Like why are more people not talking about this? Like I <sighs> I feel like question. when I talk about transcription, people are like, "Oh yeah, I've done that before. It's 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 pretty cool." Or I did it in school and that was nice, you know, help me with it. But I'm like, <laughs> "Dude, you guys don't understand. Like it's almost like it's like this secret." And it's amazing when I discovered it because I'm like, "Why do no why does nobody talk about this?" You know, like you just said, like, yeah. if you want to know why a melody is catchy, you just look at this melody and you study it and, and people, they just don't want to do that. Why do you think people don't want to do that? Or, I mean, I, think, I guess people are kind of lukewarm mm-hmm. on it, but why do you think people don't talk about it more? I think it's like, it's, that's, I don't, you like, well, first of all, I don't know. <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> I wish I could tell you. But if I had to guess, like, uh. Dang, I thought you had all the answers. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Shoot. Um, <laughs> I think it's a couple of like I've played in a lot of different circles a lot of different genres mm-hmm. and a lot of different like you know I've played in garage rock band, rock bands I've been in school university for music and and so I think it kind of depends on who you're talking about like rock musicians don't transcribe music because I think there's sort of an attitude of like why do you want to play someone else's music, man? You know, like mm. that's at least that's something I've encountered. And then in school, you know, if you're in, if you're a classical musician, you're not doing much transcribing because um, most scores, pretty much every score you could ever want is just online for free now. Mm, um, yeah. So why would you need to transcribe anything? And then, like I said, jazz musicians will transcribe solos and stuff like that. But jazz as a, as a culture has never really been, super into composition like it's been more about taking other people's compositions and like trying to express yourself uh through improvisation Mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't know if there's one good answer i think maybe it's hard to do when you're first starting out like as a it's you know i remember my first whatever 50 drum part transcriptions as a kid drummer trying to figure out how to play tunes just yeah. uh being a like a very long 
very arduous process and mm. uh, being mostly completely incorrect when I was finished. So I could see there being like a high barrier of entry to yeah. <laughs> really getting I've, into it. I found it, that but. too. It's like people, you know, I, I, I've talked with people. I, I wrote the blog post about transcription and um, I, I posted it in a few uh, composer groups that I'm a part of and people you know had had a mostly good responses to it and one guy said you know I, I love you know I love the idea of transcription but it's just so hard and so boring that's and I'm <laughs> yeah. like, you know I, I totally <laughs> empathize with you man I get it but like I'm just like if you just press through to the end the rewards that you get as a composer and as a as an arranger and stuff are just insane you oh, know but yeah. it's like you have to press through and you're right i think people people <laughs> give up they give up because it is it is really hard you know we've talked about transcribing is like afterwards you're like sweating you know <laughs> you, you need to take a nap you know it's like yeah it I really mean, is so mentally exhausting to to listen to something over and over and over and and write it down mm-hmm, yeah and it's and just it can be really discouraging when you come back to a transcription the next day and realize like, Oh, I screwed up a bunch of stuff, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's so bizarre how when you, when you're trying to transcribe for even 20 minutes, you know, you just get tired and you're like, I've listened to this one pitch 30 times and I couldn't tell you if it's an E or like a G sharp. Like I have no clue. Yeah. It's just, I don't know why that happens, but it's definitely a, uh, tiring it is. It's so true. Well, cool, man. So, I, if possible, I'd love to move on to yeah. uh, another famous tune. Let's let's do a Sonic One Scrap Brain Zone, if you don't mind. Sure. I'm curious about this tune. Kind of switching franchises here. Mm-hmm. I love me some uh, some Masato Nakamura Sonic tunes. He's Ooh, definitely yeah. the bomb. So, uh, when you're transcribing this song, this song obviously, like when you look at it initially, it looks very different than the uh, than the Super Mario Bros. Mm-hmm. song. Um, when you look at this song, what about this tune kind of stands out to you as unique or praiseworthy or noteworthy? Um, well, it's actually really interesting that you like like comparing it to the Super Mario Bros. theme. That can also be a way of 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 figuring out what angle to analyze something from is just comparing two tunes because having mm-hmm. that as a reference point and and asking you know what is different about this tune than the super mario bros theme already a bunch of stuff pops out of like the super mario bros theme was obviously kind of melody first and then every other voice was arranged to to uh accompany the melody whereas this tune seems a lot more sort of groove oriented which i'd say is a a a hallmark of of nakamura's writing in general Mm -hmm. where you see like there's you know at the a section there there's the the 16th note kind of pulsing um bass ostinato rhythm thing and the melody is just kind of floating over top like a really simple um open melody not really rhythmically interesting or anything just kind of you know and and you know you, you look at um the chords and the structure of the melody and even the structure of the bass line there it's it's one two bar idea and then he brings that two bar idea down a step a whole step and then he brings that down a whole step like it's very um what's the word not formulaic but like uh like kind of uh what's the word not systematic i don't know but i know it, there's like a classical term for it is that what you're thinking of or is yeah else? yeah i can't think of the real uh, oh, this is gonna bug me but yeah you you get what i mean it's it's yeah oh, sequ- it's like a sequential thing where it's and like it's, here's it, an idea 
we'll bring it down same idea <laughs> bring it down same idea you know and, and where it gets results. really interesting right is is that f7 because um a little bit of theory like the song is in the key of c and there is technically no e flat in the key of c but because this idea is you know is brought down whole step whole step whole step he continues it and sort of breaks out of the diatonic thing so mm-hmm. what do you think about that stuff well that just shows to me that he was thinking primarily about the baseline like the baseline is kind of what's driving it because prioritizing that that you know from bar one and bar two it has this that interval structure of going down from the one to the five up to the flat seven down to the five mm, okay and so that he preserves and moves that interval structure through the chords and so that means that the third chord the f um uh gets you know has a chromatic note one that's not in the key of a minor and it's not one that has any real functional reason to be there if you're thinking uh like classically um and like it's not like f7 to a minor is a common chord progression like It's kind of mm-hmm. weird, but yeah, but so that just shows that he, he was thinking about like this baseline and and the groove and just you know keeping that consistent, which is an interesting choice. Yeah, and sorry, I misspoke there. Yeah, this is an A minor. Apologize about that. Mm. Um, so when so what so I'm going down here to the B section, right? And I'm looking at mm. this C to F sharp major seven sharp eleven. So what's happening there? <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I remember transcribing this and uh, just trying to figure out like what is going on, but it's what it is is or whatever. What my, in my humble opinion, it's a an approach to the net, the following F major chord. So you have without that F sharp chord, you have a really typical one four five one C F G C progression, and just to throw in a little curveball, um, he approaches the f with the chord uh a half step above and when you hear it you know that c that uh you know it like really stands out and really like turns your head of like whoa what's going on yeah and i think that's exactly what he's going for like let's just have let's just break out of the the typical c major kind of sound yeah it's really interesting it's so jarring but cool and when you listen to it the da, 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 it's just mm-hmm. you know when you hear it over and over it's like of course that's what it's supposed to do you know but when you yeah. see it on the page it's like that is weird <laughs> and it's interesting to note again like this the baseline he's altered the baseline from the a section so now it's going from the the root to the fifth to the sixth to the fifth of each chord mm-hmm. and there's another uh inner voice above the baseline that in the first bar is outlining a C major chord, and then the next bar is outlining a C sharp major chord over the F sharp bass note. That is interesting. So again, he's, you can see he's thinking about just taking these, these parts and shifting them through the chords without necessarily caring about like, oh, how well does this fit together? Um, and it ends up fitting together well because it sounds good. But, uh, but you get this weird like C sharp major over F sharp uh, major which i would call like an f sharp major seven uh sound mm-hmm. um so that's what i labeled it but um but yeah you're, he's you, you can kind of see his thought press process almost by you know analyzing this tune 
So you said, you know, you heard it as an F sharp major seven sharp 11. Like, are there other chords that it could have been, but like, how do you go about, um, when you, when you say like you hear something as an F sharp, what, it, what do you mean by that exactly? Um, yeah, there's certain cases where, Ooh, excuse me. <laughs> just I hope you can, uh, yeah, I hope you can edit edit the uh, recording I'm, still, um, I'm keeping that in <laughs> <laughs> i am very enchanting like you said before yes, everyone will are. be able to see how enchanting i am you are so enchanting yeah <laughs> um <laughs> yeah well there's definitely and i think some of the later tunes we're going to talk about uh showcase this a little bit better even but there's some situations where a chord won't be so straightforward to name so in this one you have a c-sharp you know, one line's outline. One line is outlining a C sharp major triad. That's that middle voice that's going, mm-hmm. whatever it is, and uh, and the bass line is very strongly outlined, F sharp, mm-hmm. and then the melody is kind of like, uh... what is that? Why did I write it like that? See, that's interesting because there's a G natural in that bar too so if you want to you could that could really screw things up for your for well for my analysis but i see that as kind of like uh anticipating the next bar so i didn't really worry about it i Mm -hmm. guess but um yeah i mean there's a there's you could say like oh it's a c sharp over f sharp or like a c sharp major seven over f sharp Mm -hmm. um there's a few different like the uh, for this bar specifically I'd say it's either it's 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 an F sharp major seven, but you could get away with calling it a C sharp over F sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are some cases where it's really up to interpretation of like, well, I think that note's acting this way, and he thinks it's acting that way, so we uh, call them completely different chords. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah, there there is so much subjectivity in uh, in chord naming, especially I find I've found that um you know there can be a lot of differences well this is awesome dude um i want to move on if possible to yeah a simple but beloved tune the kakariko mm. village theme uh mm. from uh, zelda and i want to take this option uh or take this opportunity rather um as we talk about this tune to talk a little bit about what i sort of alluded to uh a bit ago about melodic reduction because i think mm. it's super interesting um, you know, and I'll, I'll link, of course, this this video in the show notes. But when you talk about the Christmassy songs, you know, you talked mm. a lot about how uh, when you isolate these these uh, these these pitches on the strong beats or or on the beats themselves, you start to notice patterns. When you sort of strip away uh, maybe some of the syncopation and you strip away some of the notes that aren't on the strong beats, you start to see these very distinct patterns. And I believe in the, the Christmassy song that you were analyzing from, from Mario, there was a, a very distinct walk around the circle of fifths, which just blew my mind. Mm. This is so crazy to see that. Um, it mm. was like Illuminati confirmed, you know, in the Mario song. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, like, could you talk a little bit more about that and just, you know, kind of spitball with me about melodic reduction and what it does and how it helps. And I would just love to hear your thoughts, yeah. more thoughts on that. Well, um, and well, oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. There's melodic reduction, um, can make 
a piece of music that seems too complicated to analyze or like if it has too much stuff going on it can kind of strip it away into to the backbone of what makes the song you know how it's structured in a very formal general sense and a lot of times you'll see that like you know it's structured a lot the structure is very simple and so making that connection of like a very simple idea that's kind of blown out into a really complicated piece can help bridge that gap of like you know, I don't know how to write a really complicated piece, but I can make a really simple, like, skeleton for a piece, and then you can just work on on making it more and more interesting. Yeah. So, like, for Kakariko Village, you know, it's very easy to reduce melodically because every bar has, like, a really strong, like, half-note melody uh, note. And so if you isolate just the first beat of every bar, you get... um. It's a B flat major triad. Right. So you're like, okay, so the melody is really going up a B flat major triad in the key of B flat. Like, how much more simple could you get, sure. right? But then the way it does it of of putting these big leaps in between each one of you know you start on the root and then you approach the third. You know, it like goes down a chord tone and then jumps up to the to the next chord tone so like you start on the root you step down to the to the chord tone below the closest chord tone below which is the fifth and then rock it up to the next chord tone above the root the third which is a very uh, wordy way of 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 saying something obvious but um so it, and then it just follows that pattern you know going forward and uh and so it's kind of interesting because you have this simple melodic framework of we're just going up the major triad and he harmonizes it with a really simple like one six two five chord progression which is like a stock chord progression that everyone you know knows and and uses but it uh it uh it's interesting to me because as you were saying before you mentioned the circle of fifths the chord progression is following the circle of fifths in a way of you know six to two to five is a circle of fifths movement mm-hmm. to one um and so you have that circle of fifths motion but then you also have a triadic motion in the melody which is separate right You're jumping up by thirds rather than fourths so they're, they're both really simple but they kind of contrast each other in a really interesting way and so even though the tune sounds simple like it's a nice and it's supposed to right it's a it's a peaceful village theme right it's not supposed to be too complicated it's still interesting because there's there's enough stuff going on under the hood that it's not just like, you know, the chords are doing a really simple progression and then the melody is just confirming that progression uh, exactly, which happens with a lot of sort of less interesting tunes, I'd say. So when you say it's triadic, you mean while the while the circle, while, while, or sorry, while the, while the harmony is progressing in fifths or... Uh, I guess it would be yeah, progressing in fifths. The um, the the melody itself is like progressing in thirds. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. It's it's progressing in thirds, and then um, you kind of see like the the following bars thirteen through that eight bar chunk. You know, sort of the second half of the melody there, um, where it starts on that E flat. Yeah that kind of switches it up a little bit but it's still you know fundamentally 
going down, back down the major triad. <clears throat> so you walk up the major triad, you walk up the major triad again, then you hit the the G down to the A, which is worth talking about. I'll come back to that in a second. Um, which is sort of an embellishment of the fifth. And then you go back five, three, one. Um, and this is really, really like really boiling boiling the tune down to its its very basic structure like i did in that uh, christmas video but um you know because you can you can take every bar like i was doing but you can also look at every two bars and like what's the main note of every two bars of melody Hmm. and if you do that the second half is just g f d b flat which is like a b flat six chord or you could say the g g is just embellishing like an appoggiatura embellishing the F and then walking back down the tread. So really the melody is kind of like you start at home, you go up to the fifth away from home, and then you come back. It's a very simple idea. And it's a very, it's a really, it's a, it's simple, but it's, um, what's the word? Like, it's great. Like it's uh, archetypal almost. Of like that's all anyone wants from a piece of music is to like be home and then go away from home and then come back. So I'm not trying to knock it by saying it's simple. It's 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 like it's perfect. You know what yeah. I mean? I, I'm almost crying thinking about it. <laughs> that's a, that's just that way. The way you put it is beautiful. Everybody wants to just you know be home and journey far away from home and then come back. Yeah, I mean, it's all you need. It's, it's just human. Um, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I love it. Awesome, <laughs> um, fantastic. And, and uh, like I mentioned, if anybody wants to uh, follow along and check out these transcriptions, uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to do that as well. So I want to do one more, and I want to check mm. out a real, a real stinker, as they say, ooh, um, ooh. the Requiem of Shield Knight. A real yeah. doozy. So, uh, <laughs> Shovel Knight. If you, if you're at, at anyone listening is at all familiar with the soundtrack, is a is a uh, is a retro Shovel Knight is a retro uh, platformer in the style of some of the eight bit platformers of old, and it is composed by Jake Kaufman in a, uh, a NES tracker, uh, imposing the original limitations of the NES, but the uh, some of the technical uh, things that he does in this music is just insane. It's just insanity. Um, and uh, one of my favorite soundtracks of all time, actually, is the Spectre of Torment uh, uh, soundtrack for Shovel Knight, which is a mm. remix of all the original Shovel Knight songs that Jake Kaufman did. And it is just absolutely insane. I mean, it is like just as good as any classical composer. I will go toe-to-toe with anyone on that. It is amazing. So talk to me a little bit about, I know you re- you did a video on Shovel Knight, which I will also put in the show notes. Uh, you did a video on <laughs> Shovel Knight, and um, tell me a little bit about that experience and kind of like what transcribing and analyzing the Shovel Knight soundtrack sort of taught you, and specifically this song. Um, well, transcribing it was a lot of fun because... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't you know it was great because he actually released because he he wrote the whole soundtrack in a in an nes tracker um emulating like how you would write on an nes 
uh, he actually released the file um, with all of his his like it's called an NSF file with all of his um, music on it. So basically, I could download that and put it into a tracker and see exactly what he put into the tracker to make the music. So I had all the notes laid out right in front of me. Um, so <laughs> once I figured out how to read an NES tracker, because that's not uh, super easy, I could really i could be 100 percent sure that my transcriptions were accurate because because uh, you could just look into the it looks like code basically you just look into the tracker mm-hmm. and see like oh yeah that is a c sharp or whatever um which wasn't necessarily faster than just transcribing by ear but i wanted to make sure i was accurate because there's so much stuff going on there's so many voices and so many moving parts that it can be really hard to pick out uh, everything that's happening just by ear so, so even just looking at this so transcription this, i'm like where do you even begin to analyze this because I see so many voices that are just intersecting with each other and it just looks, it almost looks random, even though it's clearly not random. There's a lot of intention mm-hmm. behind it. You know, it's just, it's insane how, how, you know, how many yeah. notes are just going all over the place and crossing over and playing in unison and then going up and then back down and intersecting. And it's just, it's bonkers. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a rough time figuring out how to, how to uh, write it down even because I like to, keep things on two staves if i can mm. but there's just too much going on for two staves and then i had entertained the thought of blowing it out to six staves for every voice to have its own stave because they're all moving independently pretty much and they all are doing something interesting and even on three staves here it can be hard to tell which voice is moving right. where yeah yeah um but you know i didn't want it to be like a 30 page sure, thing either sure. so um but yeah so on that note like the this tune especially there's it's like almost like uh uh well not almost it is like counterpoint like like baroque era contrapuntal music of like all the voices are moving totally independently and so being able to to look at it through that lens and see like you know how does he how does he you know weave these voices together that's that that was a lot of that was very educational yeah and then also the reason why i wanted to transcribe this in the first place is because i just thought it was a beautiful beautiful melody and the reason why i think it's such a beautiful melody is because of its um the way it interacts with the harmony in terms of um you know chord tones versus non-chord tones so like it does a lot of sitting on non-chord tones that are very Hmm. colorful and there's a lot of very colorful voicings. Like if you look at the first bar in that middle stave, um, well, there's the first like four notes of the tune are seconds. Like there's 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 two voices in the middle somewhere that are a second apart, which is super crunchy. And so to have that for <laughs> on every beat of the of the bar like the very first g sharp in the middle there is a second away from the f sharp in the bass and then the next beat there's a g sharp and an a which are right beside each other and then a b and a c sharp you know and uh and uh so just like he's not afraid to really get crunchy with the harmony and like uh figuring out how to wield that tool so that it sounds beautiful like it does in this tune and not like a complete mess like it would uh if i tried to do it you know that's 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 there's a lot to learn here for sure that's crazy how do you think he does it how does he do it 
How does Jake Kaufman do it? The dude is not even like he, he you know, I don't know if you know anything about the dude, but he he uh, mm. you know, based on the interviews I've seen, apparently he dropped out of school. You know, he hasn't any classical mm. education. He just loves music and video game so, music so much that he just taught himself all this stuff. How yeah. do people do that? Well, he must just <laughs> like what even is that? He must uh he probably just has an ungodly ear. I would say yeah. for something like this, especially like you must just have to be able to hear every voice and like have that intuition of, of where should this voice go next? You know, what note is the right note for this voice to move to next? Like, uh, I mean, some people just have, have that in their brains, you know, I, I, that's, it just absolutely blows my mind. The, the, uh, there's a, <laughs> there's a Twitch series where, uh, he actually streamed, the entire process of him. Oh yeah. Really? He streamed the entire process of him composing the shovel Knight soundtrack and the oh, insane part. And, and I watched, I mean, I, I tried to watch it one day, but dude, it's like six straight hours of him just at a tracker composing. <laughs> and he, he does not move. He does not sleep. <laughs> yeah. He does not eat. He does not go to the bathroom. He's just there for like in his chair oh, for like six hours in the zone. And the crazy part is that he's kind of like narrating what he's doing as he's talking. And he apparently like mm. for tunes like this, he hears everything in his head. Like he just hears it all in his head. And he's like, okay. And he'll stop for a second and like kind of bob his head and like he'll look at the ceiling and kind of like think about it for a second. And then he'll be like, okay, I got it. And he'll just put it all down in the tracker. <sighs> See, I'm, I'm so the opposite of that. I can't do that at all. And I think that's like why I made my channel pretty much is is because because i don't have that you know transcription is kind of a way to outsource that skill to other people what do you (laughs) You mean like like Like, i don't know what what you mean exactly unpack that a little bit like like i wouldn't know how to write this tune um but he wrote it and so i can put it down on paper and look at it and see how to write this tune you know what i mean and so then if i'm trying to write something and I'm like, ah, I, I want to write something that just evokes that that sort of like heart wrenching feeling. Then it's like, oh, well, he crams these second, these super crunchy seconds into a bunch of his chords. Maybe I'll try that. And like, I think that's where that that you know, kind of gut wrenching emotion right. comes from. Um, or if you look at the melody, it's like um, these huge leaps of like you know, in bar four, that C sharp up to B down to A. Like that's such a beautiful leaping up of a seventh and then resolving down like that's just such a beautiful melodic figure and so like you know oh well i could try putting a huge seventh leap into my melody and see if that you know kicks up the the emotion right you know yeah. <laughs> like it's a it's a very inorganic process i guess no but, it's, it's it's a dude, that, is, that is brilliant because you know your channel and our conversations and and reading books about everyone steals from everyone else. And so it's like that, that you really yeah. do have to play the part of a scientist to be like, okay, I, th- I have a hypothesis that, you know, leaping up to the seventh and resolving back down creates a certain mood, you know, and I'm going to try that mm. and maybe it works. Maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't work. But the fact that you have the evidence here, you have the transcription here that you can use as source material is everything. So if there's anything that, mm-hmm. you know, people listening take away, it's transcribe music, transcribe music, transcribe it. 
Just do, just do it. Just just freaking <laughs> do, do it. Because, oh my gosh, it's going to change your life. <laughs> oh man. We, you and I might yeah, be the only people the who number. get so excited about transcription in the world. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll change once everyone reads your amazing blog post. Oh, stop it. Which I fully endorse. You. Well, thank you very much. It was enchanting. My name is 8-Bit and I approve this message. Um, yeah, <laughs> dude, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this, uh, on this call. I hope that everyone listening, uh, learned something, learned many things, and, uh, I would love to do it again sometime. So thank you so much. Do you have any parting words, any parting wisdom? Uh, we are at your feet. You are the guru. We've climbed to the top of the mountain <laughs> pleading for your wisdom. Do you have anything for us, sir? Um... Well, thank you for having me, first of, of all. This is a lot of, of fun. Of course. Very much enjoyed it. Hope we can do it again soon. Naturally. And um, I have so much wisdom to impart that I can hardly choose the, what wisdom to, <laughs> to impart first. That's right. How about the, the second one? Yeah. The second, the second okay. piece the of The second wisdom. most wise thing. Um, you know what? If you just if you enjoy music, that's great. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, <laughs> this has been just <laughs> this has been awesome. Um. Do you hear that, folks? You heard it here, okay? If you if you quote if you enjoy music, that's great. End quote. Um, I support enjoying music. (laughs) Um, Great. Okay. Well, thank you, Mister Bit, and uh, I genuinely uh, look forward to our next encounter. Uh, You can uh, get all the uh, transcriptions as well as uh, references to all these videos in the show notes. And thank you all for joining. Thanks for listening to Composer Code. And uh, we'll see you next time.